Welcome to the Set Yourself Free podcast, real stories from ending emotional abuse and taking your life back. I'm your host, Carrie Beach, owner of Set Yourself Free. I'm a life and success coach that believes we all have limitless potential within us if we have the right tools and support. Trauma or past hurt might be a part of your story, but it doesn't have to be the entire story. We all have different versions of what freedom means, and I'm here to help you unlock your perfect version of it. Join us for season two, where we follow four extremely courageous women who share their stories of what it actually takes to get to the other side of trauma and abuse. Through their stories, you will know that you are not alone, that shame only grows in secret, and that it does get better on the other side. By hearing their stories, you will gain insight, tools, and practical ways that you can access the power inside of you. All of the magic is waiting for you, and we simply need to tap into it. These women will give you the courage and strength to find your freedom. Let's dive in. What kind of support did you get or did you already have? Olivia. Those were my biggest support, really. Just like my business partner, my nanny, and my friends. Yeah. Well, and I imagine you also are like navigating this new life of like, oh, I have uh, another one at home. So it's not just like I have a baby for the first time. You're like, now I'm a mom of two and I have no idea what this is actually supposed to feel like. Totally. And I look back at like the year after Mavi was born as like one of the darkest years of my life. And I, I really wasn't like depressed day to day or anything like that. I just remember living with this like almost like constriction in my chest, like every single day, like I could never relax. Like I knew something was going on. I knew I couldn't really handle the kids either. Like, I don't know. It was, it was really hard for me. So did the nanny add a level of support and help or did it almost feel like it was a strain in terms of your relationship? I would say she definitely added support and help. Like even just the household stuff. It's so funny. Like I just got another live-in nanny like two weeks ago. She moved in and I'm like, praise the Lord because (laughs) I can't, I I don't know. I'm not going to like insult myself here, but like I am not cut out for taking care of the household. Like, I don't know if it's because I had to do so many chores as a kid and take care of my little brother so much as a kid that I just like resent vacuuming and (laughs) picking up toys. And like, I love hanging out with my kids, but I just feel this like rush of like, I cannot take care of the house too. And so Anyway, like, yes, that piece was great. Um, And it just freed up a little bit more space for me, like energetically Mm. to kind of, I I remember like when I would come out of my office, I worked from home at the time um, and I knew she was there. So I could like sneak into my room for an extra hour and just kind of like decompress. Mm. Um, and it was like little luxuries like that, that I didn't have before, which really helped me to like calm down. Yeah. So, but were you still having these feelings of like, something's wrong? Oh my God. Constantly, constantly. Like 
all the time. I, I think every time the phone, like his phone would make a noise, I'd be like, mm-hmm. like, I'd literally like my whole body would tense up and he would get annoyed. Cause I'd be like, who are you talking to? Like what everyone in your life is in this room. Like, who are you always talking to? You know? Mm-hmm. And now it's so funny. I'm dating this other guy and he's always like, who are you texting? And I'm like, my friends, like you want to <laughs> see? And he like, he'll leave his phone. I remember the first time he like left his phone on the counter and it was going off and I'm like, your phone's going off. I'm not looking. And he's like, what are you talking about? You weirdo. I don't have anything to hide. And I'm like, but I was so used to this. Like, it was like his phone was like, literally like a garden of secrets. That's a too nice of a way to put it more of like a temple of doom. I don't know, but it was like, (laughs) it was just like guarded with. So, and I remember like my people had commented about it before. Even my brother was like, yo, why is he always on his phone and like, won't put it down, takes it everywhere. Like, and I would, you know, make excuse, like, he's just, he's always working. Like he's like every, you know, things are moving really quickly in his business. And like, now looking back, I like, look like such a fool probably, but you know, like you, you defend your man, you defend the, yeah. the father of your kids. And like, I just, I rem- like, it was really the constant, like being on the phone and like, I could never even like, he had like weird different messaging kind of apps on his phone. And like, I'm not like that tech savvy, obviously. Well, not obviously. Like I run an <laughs> online company. I'm kind of tech savvy. Like, I don't know about all these like different ways to communicate. I like really wish I could change my phone number because I don't want to communicate most of the time. Totally. <laughs> but that was really it. And um, I just... I don't know how far you want me to go in. Do you want me to just keep talking? Or yeah, share as much as you're okay. comfortable with. So it got to the point where I was so suspicious that like I, I, I would go running um, and I would hear, I was really listening to like the Jay-Z, Jay-Z 444 album at the time, which is like the whole album is about like him. Well, not the whole album, but a lot of it references like him cheating on Beyonce and like deciding to be a better man and blah, blah, blah. And I would like listen to it and I'd be like, I know this is my story. I know this, like I would listen to that album and then Beyonce's album. And I'm like, I just, but I would try to erase it out of my brain. But like, I would go on these long runs and I'd be, it was like, I was mentally preparing myself for what was going to happen. Mm. Um, And then it got, like, I would start having, this is where I'm, I'm a little bit like in the spiritual woo woo world about it, but I would start having these like visions of what was going on. Like I would see him with other women, like in my mind, Mm. I would wake up in the middle of the night, like soaked in sweat, like having like these like premonition type of dreams, like where he was, who he was with, like, and I started writing everything down because simultaneously at this time, he had convinced me that I was so crazy. I had so much anxiety. I had such a lack and trust in him that he was going to leave me if I didn't go to therapy and get help for myself. Oh. And so I, you know, went back to therapy and I'm like a therapy fan. I'm in therapy now, just like working on myself, you know, and I had been all through my twenties and I had kind of taken some, not like taken some time off. It wasn't really like that, but I just, I hadn't felt like I needed it in a while. And, you know, I had so much going on. So I'm like, I hadn't been in a couple of years. 
Um, but I went back to therapy. I started doing EMDR to try to heal my childhood trauma because, you know, I, I grew up in a pretty disruptive house with, you know, alcoholism and mental illness. And so I remember being like, okay, maybe I'm creating all these problems because I have a story in my head that like without fighting and chaos, like there's no love, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a degree of that that's true. Like even in my current relationship, which is stable, like I do find myself being like, this is too peaceful. Like what can I mess up? You know? (laughs) But I'm very conscious of it now. And like, it doesn't make it okay. But like, that was not, this was not what was going on then. Like what was going on then was just like pure manipulation And so I had been going to therapy and, um, working on myself and, uh, but she was really, he had come into therapy. We had done a couple of sessions too. And I remember the therapist saying like, I really don't need to see you guys anymore. Like Olivia just needs to work on her anxiety and she wanted to medicate me. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like something is going on. Like there's just no way. And I, she basically was like, you know, you're trying to create problems that don't exist. This man loves you. He's here for you. He's doing everything. And he was like, he's a supportive dad, blah, blah, blah. But like, I remember when she told us not to come back, I was like, I must be going crazy. So this was going on like what, right when I started having the dreams, I started like having these. So I'm just like, maybe I've completely lost my mind. Like mental illness runs in my family. Like, you know what? And, but I remember being like, I'm not, I can't let it go yet. You know, yeah. like I can't just accept that this is my life yet. It doesn't make sense. Hmm. And so that's when I started writing everything down and I would glance at his phone sometimes and I would see different like usernames or websites. And so I literally just started writing down everything, everything. Hmm. And I did that for like months months until I had this, like, I think I probably started doing that in like February or March of 2018. And then like my first big discovery about his like secret life was in May. Mm. So I just like compiled a lot of stuff. Well, and I imagine, I mean, I, I, I mean, I can imagine the thoughts of, how confusing it had to feel in your body and in your brain, especially when part of your support system is going to therapy. And then your therapist is saying like, yo, you're fine. Don't come back here. And then again, that story of like, it must be me. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I, I, I would have good days and bad days. Like some days where I'm like, okay, like maybe I'm like resetting and I'm like getting normal again, you know? Yeah. But then I would like, walk into his office and see something like sketchy on the computer. And I'm like, I just would get this rush of like, everything's not okay. Like something's mm-hmm. going, it would, it would overtake me. And I just, one night when he was out of town, I was like, I took all these notes. I took every like username I had seen, website I had seen. And I just, I mean, I was like in a Google Chrome incognito tab, like just going (laughs) at it. And, you know, finally I discovered everything that he was up to. And I called him like 400 times until he finally answered. And then he was like, when I get home, like we're done. You have completely lost your mind. I don't want you to be with the kids. 
I don't want like to see you. I'm moving out when I get home. And I'm like, this actually was the same day that I got my publishing deal with Hay House too. I won this like writer's contest. So I'm like, oh my ah. gosh. Yeah. And, and uh, I just remember being like, you are not going to get me again. Like, I know this is true. I have so much evidence. And that, I ended up staying for like six more months to try to work it out. But So how, how in the world did you take care of yourself after you're like, okay, I have all this evidence, I have all this proof. And then he basically is saying all these things to you. And I knew at that point that he was like completely manip- everything. Like it was the first thing that I was like, oh my God, like he has been manipulating me and I was right. I wasn't second guessing myself anymore. Like that was the first of two like major discoveries. So this was like about, um, you know, one of the secret lives he was living essentially. And I put it all together and he ended up telling me like, so I, I had him move out of our house when he got back from that trip. And that was traumatic. Like the kids were crying. I remember like him packing up his stuff in the Uber and my older son, like chasing the car down the street. And it it was really, Mm -hmm. really bad. Um, and he, you know, I kicked him out for, I don't know, like a week or two. And he, you know, he was crying, begging to come home. He's going to change. He's going to change. And then I thought to myself, all right, we have two kids. Like, should I try to like have him back and like, we'll go back to therapy, a new therapist and like (laughs) try to make this work. And so I let him come back. And I, I remember even talking to my dad about it and being, and he's like, you have to give him another chance. Like you don't break up a family and blah, 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 blah. And so I did. Um, and things were better, of course, for like 30 days, you know? Mm-hmm. And then uh, like, I just started, you know, I started feeling it again, maybe a few weeks or a month after he moved back in. Just like the same things in your body? Or yeah. Like brain, yeah. yeah. And it was like, I remember feeling like normal for probably a month. Like he was really putting in a lot of effort to like change and be more present and um, be off his phone a little bit. And, you know, and then... I don't know. It must have been the end of July when I was like, no, like I'm, I'm, I'm having the same experiences again. Like I, I started feeling like there was a lot of secretive behavior and tons of travel coming up again with like very little notice. And, Hmm. you know, he would say he was working, but there weren't like checks coming and, you know, <clears throat> but the more questions I would ask, the more he would be like, you're doing it again. You're being crazy. You're being suspicious. How are we going to be in a relationship if you don't trust me? And I'd be like, but, you know, and then that, um, oh, I lost my train of thought. It just, it just started coming on again. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I would say things were still better than they were. And, but I just, I knew that like, okay, I had discovered some of what was going on, but there had to be more. Yeah. So were you continuing to write 
during this whole time as part of like taking care of yourself and keeping your like thoughts straight? Yeah, I I did a lot of writing and I was actually writing the book at this time too, which Mm. is still not done because I've had to like go rewrite a lot of it just because of where my head was at the time. But um, yeah, I was journaling a lot. I was writing things down. I, it was really the dreams I feel like that summer that were just so vivid. They didn't make sense. Like I remember one dream where I was at the mall and I ran into him at the mall with another woman and they just like acted like I was crazy. And he was like, obviously I'm with other people. And like, it was just this weird, I remember waking up and being mad at him the next day. And I was like, you were cheating on me in my dream and now I'm in a bad mood. And he'd be like, what? And then I'm going to like foreshadow a little bit, but like I find out later when I'm talking to one of these women, she was like, you you and your kids were at the mall and Greg (gasps) left you to go to another store and met up with me. Oh my gosh. I just got chills. And I was like, oh my, I was like, I dreamed about this. Like, and it was around the same time. So I think it was just like, my intuition was literally like, it it, like invading Uh. every angle of my brain and like my physical body. And I'm like, it just was, there was just so much, but like, what am I going to do? Be like, I had a dream that you were cheating on me and we're going to go with that as fact. Like I I couldn't break up like the family with the, to me, like without further information, because even what I discovered back in May, like it wasn't, it wasn't cheating. Right. It was like some sketchy stuff and like different types of relationships and conversations that were like totally off and, and, and not good when you're in a relationship with someone, but it wasn't any like, physical affairs or anything well that I discovered at that point yeah I just I'm like oh my goodness there's so many pieces of it of of screaming of how much our intuition is always trying to talk to us and like it's amazing, right? If if you're not getting it from this one angle, it's like coming in this other way. And it's like, do you yeah. loud and clear trying to come through? Right. And I would like lose my voice all the time too. I had like, I was losing my voice. I mean, three or four times a year at that, like, mm-hmm. and it was just bizarre. Mm-hmm. It was just bizarre. And I, I think... I remember talking to a very close friend and psychic of mine, like later on after I had found out even more. And she was like, it had to be this catastrophic for you to finally listen to yourself. She was like, you could have left so many times, like your body knew, your heart knew, your mind knew. Mm-hmm. But she was like, you, like I, I needed to have physical proof. I needed to have like, pure evidence. I mean, maybe it was partially for myself so that I didn't feel like I was crazy or like, I didn't want to wonder five years later if like, did I make the right decision? I don't know, but. Wow. Well, yeah. And especially when you have kids and you're like, um, I can't go off of a dream I just had that like right. this happened, <laughs> you know, like how, how are we going to explain exactly. this? Exactly. 
Yeah. <clears throat> right. Shelby. Yeah. I mean, it's really been a thousand pieces mm-hmm. and they were all important. You know, every single practice and modality and session, healing session and group experience, it's all moved me towards healing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's moved me towards healing because it's been so wrong <laughs> for yeah, my healing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like so triggering and so bad, badly held. But it has helped me know more and more what I need and what I'm worth receiving. Mm-hmm. And um, it's honestly, you know, some people have a quick linear path with one thing, but I'm a multi-passionate human, I think. And I just will not stop until I have experienced everything. And, but I can give you, you know, like the top things that have really supported my healing. And it's interesting that Buddhism has been such a huge influencer. You know, I've been practicing for over 15 years. I have a lot of my friends come from that community, but right now it's not so strong in my life anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really shifted, you know, some shit has gone down with teachers and I don't super respect them anymore. And community or sangha is hard work. That is advanced practice and um, being in spiritual communities, it comes with a lot. And so right now I'm just kind of standing outside both my Tantra community and my Dharma community because I'm just enjoying like hiking in nature <laughs> and it. drinking a beer every now and then. Yeah. You know? um, I actually don't drink beer. Kombucha with spirits, maybe. <laughs> but I, the Dharma, regardless, has is the foundation for everything I stand upon now. It's like in my system, it's in my body, the practice, the meditation practices I've learned, the way I grew through being in community and in connection to my teachers mm-hmm. it informs who I am at this point. It was so long and it really worked for me. It's not for everyone. Sure. Um, how at some time, I just, the caveat, sometimes it was totally not what I should have been doing. I was so overwhelmed learning how to meditate, so activated and nobody around realizing how to guide people in trauma aware meditation practices. So that's why I do what I do now. Yeah. But um, another, I mean, therapy has been fundamental to yeah. my growth, to have a steady presence every single week. And not everybody needs it, but I do. And I am okay with it. Mm. And it hasn't always been the same therapist, but usually I will stay with someone for two, three, four years, do a really deep piece of work, and then it feels complete. And then I just miss it because I love it. And it's so healthy for me to have a person who is a touch point, who's tracking me, who's reminding me of my goodness, mm. who's reminding me that I loved, who's helping me be in my body because it's really hard for me to be in my body when I don't, when I don't have another person around Mm -hmm. to remind me that it's a safe place to drop into my body. Mm -hmm. And so somatic psychotherapy is really just like the icing on the cake for me, just based in attachment, you know, that has been revolutionary to understand on a cognitive level, what I went through in my development, even prenatal development. Mm And then all the relationships that happened in my primary care, in my family of origin, and then to be able to understand it in my body that what comes up today in my relationships, in my work, in my life, their body memories, Mm -hmm. you know, have a therapist help me 
kind of just pull apart what I'm what's happening now is what happened then. And how can I tap into the adult now that is just so integrated and has got this and can care about that. So therapy is revolutionary. And this I have never shared publicly before, but I feel fine sharing it. I did a huge chunk of healing for a couple of years doing the MDMA therapy with the protocol for folks with complex PTSD. Mm. And that gave me back my life in a way that I never knew I could have. It helped me feel for the first time what love truly felt like in every cell of my body. Mm. And to have a person sit with me for those two years through that process and just be pure love and reflect that that's who I am and that's my essence and that I am capable of stepping into the fullest potential of who I came here to be. Mm. There was something about that medicine that helped me finally relax my body because I'd been so contracted and stressed in a stress response and a trauma response Mm. that I, for the first time, got to feel what it felt like to feel human and to breathe. And so I could take that as a map and would learn meditations from him in between about how to actually access those states without the medicine. And that really, I feel tears saying it because that was a game changer. It was a huge game changer. And then the last two are really um, (laughs) teaching and working within a Tantra school sex, love, and relationship coaches, certification, training. There were just so many practices that helped me feel more authentic, feel more tapped into the full spectrum of what's possible in my emotions, like that I could actually feel it all and not die from it. Yeah. And express it all unapologetically and the people in my community would love me. Yeah. (laughs) And it just helped me release a thousand layers of shame Mm. around sexuality and everything else. You know, I'm queer identified and I have been out since as long as I remember, but I actually don't think I realized I actually needed to legitimately come out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I'd always been out, but something about that process there, I was so safe to explore even further who I am in this world as this straight looking bisexual woman with a, a huge queer background from since I was little, I've always been that way. So just help me feel embraced and like I could be fully who I am. Mm. And the last piece is what I'm doing right now, which is working in with another somatic psychotherapist in a, the deepest attachment way I ever have. And it's the slowest work <laughs> ever done. And it has changed my entire system. Now I can like regulate mm. and be present with people. That's the last piece. It was really hard for me to be around people. Mm. To work with my clients, no problem, because I'm in control of that situation. (laughs) But having genuine connected relationships with colleagues, friends, acquaintances, and workshops, I felt so lonely all the time Mm. and was really good at pretending like I wasn't. And so this last piece has helped me learn how to let people in a little bit and to really care about them. And it's been such a gift and the hardest piece of this healing I have ever done. Mm. What I love about all of those pieces is 
just leaning into support being so beautiful. Cause I think our brains, especially after trauma or after being very high achieving, capable women want, they want to tell us like, you don't need this support. You don't need this. Like this is too much or whatever the stories are. And just how beautifully you described all of those elements supporting you and allowing you to do the work that you do. Because without that, all that support, you wouldn't be able to, you know, it's just, and so I love talking about support because I just see it as such a factor in our ability to have more capacity for more people. And yet our brains try to tell us like, you know, there's shame in that game and you can't have the support that you need. And it's like, no, 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 we need to change the conversation around it because that is really what enables us to do good work in this world. Absolutely. And, you know, as a therapist, and I know you're a trained therapist too, there's that line where it's like, do we really keep people in therapy forever and ever and ever and have them just rely on us? And, and then there's the line of, well, if it's really serving them and they love it and they don't mind paying for it, um, and we're not uh, unconsciously trying to keep them there, we're really there in the highest service of what they need and want. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to walk that line. But for me, it's like, I want it. I love it. I need it. And I am so grateful for it. And I'm really okay with it. Mm, I love that. <laughs> and that's what I talk with clients about all the time, because the more I study change in myself and other people, it's the goal is really to just figure out yourself enough to know what you need and to set up those systems, right? Like, knowing yourself, you get to decide, like, do I need therapy? Do I not? Do I need it in this season? Does it look like this? And once you know, like, don't have shame in that. Like, go get as much support as you can, because that's how you're going to operate at your highest self. Yeah. And to me, that is my biggest expense by far. No, I pay for the best therapist that I know every single week religiously because I feel amazing from it. There is nothing else I could spend my money on that would help me feel this connected to myself, my heart, the people in my life, you know, and I was just so grateful. And this isn't a sales pitch. It's like, it's just really, (laughs) it's so genuine for me and my path. And I'm almost having to remind myself of that, you know, like I do spend a lot of money on it. And it is. It matters so much to me that that support is here because I didn't grow up with that kind of support. Yeah. What I, I mean, it's such a gift you get to give yourself, right? Absolutely. Yes. Elizabeth. The online support because I was so isolated where I was living. I was so isolated in the home. Mm. Um, I only had like one friend where I lived. I had moved, I think, two years prior. So... I found a lot of support online and somebody recommended like, Hey, is there a Buddhist temple near you? And these might be helpful. And I thought, yeah, I'll try. And I remember I looked up, it was Sunday. I found one that had just opened a few months prior and I'm in like small town, middle America. Like why the heck would there be a Buddhist temple? (laughs) (laughs) It totally was. And I went there. I just went, I I was like, it probably starts at 10. I'm just going. And, um, and yeah, and that was the case. And I went there um, and that was the fall. It was September when I, September, October. And this was November when I found that temple. 
And I was not able to move out until the following May because legal delays and legal delays and in communication, miscommunication with the lawyer and just general incompetence. And if you've been in a legal system with a narcissist, especially a covert narcissist, you 100% know what I'm talking about. Um, and so that was really helpful. I would go there. I would take my son to do Kung Fu lessons. So I would get out of the house with him and, um, I, what else was support for me? Um, I went to the women's shelter. We have a really great women's shelter mm. here. Um, pretty much hated all my minutes there because it was so <laughs> depressing, but it was at least helpful to not feel alone. Mm. Um, in that sense, I got a therapist. I, uh, I started seeing a therapist and it was really helpful because I could say, Hey, like, is this healthy? Is this thing that's happening? Or, you know, is I'm feeling this or like, I could really, it really helped my, I had such a tangled cognitive level of confusion. The therapist sure. really, really helped that. Um, yeah. So those were the helps. There's been a lot of supports along the way, but those were the early ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I imagine as you're still living in this confusing place, like physically where you're living, right? Like those were so essential to at least having some semblance of like, I don't know, normal's kind of an overused word, but like, you know, I mean, in terms of getting back to feeling like, okay, I'm not making this stuff up. This is actually happening. Here are people validating my experiences and my feelings because I imagine at your house that was not happening. No. Yeah, absolutely. The level of validation was yeah, that was, that was part of it. And learning what normal looks like because it had been, it was so weird with the cult and the spiritual narrative and the way we were living and the family and the, you know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. um, like the air quote family. Um, yeah. yeah. And the isolation. And I had started so young. Right? I got with him when I was 18. And at this point I was 33. Mm-hmm. Right. It's like all a like, so, I feel like I lived yeah. two lifetimes. Yeah. Right? I didn't really manage to get divorced until I was 36. And it was like, oh, I was, it's like 18 plus 18. Like I had sort of lived this like 18 year thing. And then I had sort of, and now I'm like, it's almost like I birthed another mm. <laughs> young, yeah, like a young adult self or something. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Sarah. Sure. So she encouraged me. Um, I mean, I came up with a safety plan. Part of that safety plan involved, you know, getting my locks changed. And the other part involved, you know, like getting a bag together, (laughs) you know, just in case I needed to leave my home for whatever reason or leave town or whatever. Um, And then the other part was, you know, telling the people in my life what was going on and that I was making this decision. And so that was difficult because everybody in my life loved him. Like I am not, I know there, there are so many stories, you know, that you hear where the loved ones see the red flags and see the odd behaviors. And that is not how it went with me at all. Everybody loved this guy. Everybody in my life loved him. Um, and no, I, I don't think there was one person who I quote unquote came out to about this that said to me, you know, I had a feeling like nobody said that. And so, <laughs> but that was, but thankfully everybody was really supportive and 
I had never got any pushback from, you know, family or friends. Um, it was really nothing but love and compassion. So it was easy, thankfully for me to lean into that. And once that weight got lifted, it just like receiving support became so much easier after that. And then Mm. telling my story, you know, on the internet a few months later and like kind of getting up the courage to do that, um, helped me support myself because I think even though I was sharing with, you know, the people who are very close to me, there was something about sharing it on the internet and sharing it with my following and my people, so to speak, that just really helped me own it because I had kind of felt divorced from my own story Mm. and my own experience in a way, just because of all the hiding and all the denial and all the like covering for him and, you know, and all this stuff. So those, I mean, that's to answer your question. Yeah. That's, that was a major part of, um, of support, of getting the support that I needed. It was just like owning my story Mm. stop like not being divorced from it as if it was like this thing that I just need to get over and like move on and forget about <laughs> like really yeah. including it in my process which um but that's yeah that's that's how so was it easy I don't know if easy is the right word but um mm-hmm. how did it feel to step into owning your story and like really owning that as yours how did it feel? It was, it's, it felt a little strange at first, but you know, like oddly liberating. And I think it just got to the point where like, and I remember saying this in the very first post that I wrote where I said, you know, I don't know how to talk about this. And I also don't know how to not talk about it. Like that's kind of where I was, was like, I don't quite know how to do this recovery thing because I feel like I'm coming off a drug, which Mm -hmm. I then found out after reading about some of this stuff, it's like, oh my God, literally is like coming off a drug, like in your brain. It it is like that. Um, and so it was, it was just odd. It just felt weird (laughs) at first because I went from doing all this hiding and all this covering and all of this, like, you know, micromanaging to just telling the truth and Mm. being like being myself again, like being Sarah who experienced, you know, what she experienced over the last year and a half. And it, it's, it, (sighs) it felt weird at first and then it started to feel better, like almost instantly. Mm-hmm. So that weird time was actually really brief and it uh, just got easier. And then it was like every day I would get on Facebook and just write like a little, it's like this layer is what I'm peeling back today. And like this piece is what's coming up for me today. And then this thing, it just, it helped me kind of tap into that superpower of storytelling, which is so healing for me. And as it turns out, has been healing (laughs) for the people who follow me on Facebook, even if they had never been in an abusive partnership, which many of them haven't, but just that like, because we live in in a somewhat culture of abuse where, you know, Mm -hmm. like dynamics of abuse are 
very much integrated into the undertones, like the subconscious collective, so to speak, right? So, yeah. so, so it, it's not difficult for a lot of us to resonate with um, and really receive some value from, even if it's not necessarily the exact same thing that we've been through ourselves. It's just, you know, like this human condition thing. <laughs> so, uh. yeah. Well, I love so many aspects of that because when you first said that, I'm like, oh yes, that that feels so true to so many people. And I resonate with yeah. that too of how do I share this, but how do I not share this? You know, like that yeah. really is the thing where I think you finally recognize like, oh, my shame tells me not to share this, but ultimately I mm-hmm. know I have to share this because otherwise I stay in the dark. And, yes. you know, and like, there's just such beauty in coming into the light and owning your story and being you and telling the truth. Like mm-hmm. I, I was listening to something recently that resonated so much of saying like truth is the most universal thing for people feeling safe. Like when you yes. tell the truth, that creates safety. Like we're so terrified that telling the truth is going to offend mm-hmm. people or create these odd dynamics. And ultimately, truth telling is what makes us all feel safe. Yeah. Yeah. So and it's like we uh, share the load. Yeah. It's like being human thing. <laughs> right? Like that. Exactly. Yeah. And like, I think that's what everyone is dying for, especially in a culture of social media where there's shiny mm-hmm. objects and there's things. And it's like, yeah. no, we want to know like, oh, you experienced this emotion too. Oh, okay. I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. So thank you for sharing that. Like that just to me is like so beautiful on so many levels of just our human condition. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for being here and listening. This episode is so good. I feel like each one gets better and better as we dive deeper into each of these women's stories. And so I cannot thank you enough for being here and listening. And so again, this week, I really want to emphasize how critical support is and how none of us do it alone and why in the world we try to. I'm just not sure outside of pride and ego. And so I am grateful that each of them are willing to go behind the scenes, go behind the curtain and talk about their healing path and their journey in a way that's relatable, in a way that's honest and in a way that really doesn't sugarcoat things. And so I know that it can feel terrifying that first time you let someone in, that first time you ask for support. It literally can feel like you're going to die inside your body. Um, It can be that real and that scary. But I'm here to offer these stories and my own personal journey and my just encouragement that you can push through that fear and not pushing through in this like we have to push through kind of masculine energy way, but that you can change these stories and you can feel safe in your body again. And the more we practice this, 
the easier it really does get because we change our brain chemistry. We can honestly rewire the neurons in our brain and the ability to step into scary and hard things can become easier the more we practice it. It's a muscle like anything else. And so I'm just so grateful that each of them is willing to share what it took to get support and what that looks like and share that with each of you. So thank you for being here. I'm so grateful and I cannot wait to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the Set Yourself Free podcast. I'm so grateful that you are here supporting me and supporting these incredibly brave guests. If you can do me a favor and take one minute to share this episode with someone that needs to hear it, I would be so grateful. And if you are willing, please go leave us a review. Each month, I will be choosing a reviewer to give a free session to as a thank you for listening. One thing I know for certain in this lifetime is that we will forever be as sick as our secrets. Shame has no ability to grow when we share our stories in safe places. I'm more encouraged than you could possibly know by those that are willing to speak up and help all of us know that we are not alone. So don't forget, head on over to my website at setyourselffreellc.com, grab your free journal, and book a free 30-minute call with me to talk about the number one mindset block stopping you from the life you want and one thing you can do this week to shift it. Thanks again for being here and we will see you next week.